You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. He's Greg, I'm Nick. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Well, Greg, we actually have football to talk about. Guys were on the field. They were conversating, discussing certain things. Coaches were out there coaching. It's a great, great time. It's not the end of the world. It's just OTAs, but it's at least football and guys out there with helmets on, and and it makes you feel like we're getting closer and closer. Mm -hmm. It was your chance to look at the first on-field practice, right? And to get a feel for this football team about at least where they're starting from. So let's start here for us. The offensive coaching mechanisms. Everybody's talking about the coaching staff. How is this offense going to work? Who's going to be communicating plays to Mac Jones during games? What did you see first time out? Yeah, so what we saw um, basically went like this. Joe Judge is clearly the quarterback's coach. Um, Hard to tell whether he even has an assistant in that. Um, There are a couple of guys I did not recognize on the field. Of course, you know, not only did the Patriots lose um, their offensive coordinator slash QB coach, Josh McDaniels, they lost their in-title quarterback coach, Bo Hardigree, to the Raiders as well. So I'm sure Judge has somebody helping him. Um, But I didn't readily uh, recognize this guy. And so he's clearly in charge of the quarterbacks. Matt Patricia is clearly in charge of the offensive line. Uh, And I would say more run game stuff. Uh, Also saw Joe Judge involved with uh, the running backs and wide receivers a little bit on some drills. Uh, When it came to play calling, um, yes, mini camp plays as Bill Belichick um, like to say the other day, um, yes, actual plays have to be called during minicamp at times, you know, for them to actually execute. Uh, at first, it was um, Joe Judge was calling the plays. Uh, basically, he was relaying them into the ear hole of the quarterback, um, you know, off of a sheet of paper. This is a little different than what we've seen in years past because Josh McDaniels does almost everything on the headset. Or, you know, he has a walkie-talkie to the speaker in the quarterback's helmet. Um, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't do it that way, considering you'll do it that way during the season. So it's good just prep the whole time. But the Patriots, this Patriots staff has done it differently. Joe Judge was in the quarterback's ears to start. Then Matt Patricia, it was Matt Patricia's turn to uh, call the plays more in the run game, uh, deceptive periods, screens, things like that. And then when it came to 11-on-11, more team, 
it was one William Stephen Belichick uh, getting into the ear of of the quarterbacks. Now, do I think this was the plan all along? Uh, I'm not exactly sure about that. I can't know at all. But I will say I got the sense during the practice, and I could be way off on this. I got the sense that there was a little bit of frustration with the offense on Belichick's part because it was it was really sloppy early. And I would say the mechanisms of it, just like the amount of time between plays, there was a there was a stretch where there was a fumbled snap, false start, Belichick sent them for a lap. Um it was it was uneven, and I think at some point in time there were there were more than a few false starts. At some point in time, I thought Belichick basically said like I'm doing this. There was one point where Matt Patricia came over to say something to Belichick, and Belichick was basically like, "Get the f out of here!" Like I'm 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 calling the plays here, <laughs> and so I, I you know yeah. look, it's the first time out, first time we've seen them. It was their first OTA practice because they switched our access from it was supposed to be the third day. Now was the first day. And so first day of school type of thing, I'm not going to overreact one way or the other. Uh, but I would say that it looks like, you know, it's a work in progress, you know, what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball, which we all figured. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see like if Belichick feels that way, again, you said you could be totally off, but mm-hmm. if it was kind of the slow start and Belichick stepped in, is that going to be a situation? You know, if these guys don't get it cranking quick enough for Belichick, is Belichick going to say, um, I'm going to have to call the plays? I've well, Nick, it's interesting you bring like, that is up. He, is he going to get tired of it? Yeah, that's, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just thinking about this and, and about something that I need to write at some point in time. But, you know, I think you could make the argument that uh, this is one of Belichick's um, – biggest risks in terms of his career. And I think that, you know, we're talking, I mean, he's so far out there on a limb on this, you know, because I was just thinking about it. Yeah. This whole league, like, you know, people can say like, Oh, well, Bill, Bill called plays in Cleveland. That was like 30 years ago or yeah, it was 30 years ago. And I was just thinking about how how it's totally Belichick and the Patriots that the NFL has become so offensive. There's so many offensive head coaches in the league now. Everybody wants points. It's all geared around the offense. The wide receivers are getting paid now. You know, all these things. And, of course, Belichick goes in the other direction. You know, he says, he says, all right, fine. You want your Sean McVay's and Kyle Shanahan's and all that stuff? Like, no, I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to go with a special teams coach and a defensive coordinator on the offensive side of the ball. And so that's all well and good. Bill has earned the right to do that. And I think that's the way the crafts look at this. But if it blows up in his face, like I think it's it's the biggest risk that if this goes really bad, it could cost him his job at the end of this season, quite possibly if it goes that bad. So you ter- in terms of Belichick, hell yeah, I think he's going to step in. If this does not look good and I don't think he's waiting until like halfway point of the season like the Dallas game last year on defense I think we're talking very very early like first you know maybe fourth or fifth game of the season where if it looks that bad I think Bill's gonna take it completely over he's gonna run the show and you know I'm I'm sort of waiting for that to happen because I think I think ultimately that's the best path for this team but we'll see 
you know, uh, I want people to, to pay close attention to what I'm going to say, because some people might kind of misinterpret what I'm going to say. So let me start with this. Good luck I've with been that. Critical <laughs> of the approach. <laughs> I've been critical with the approach of the coaching staff in this offseason. I tweeted this week. I do think we've reached the point of like, OK, let's just see if this thing works, because mm-hmm. we've talked about how it could not work. And let's see how, if it works. What I will say, though just based off of what you just brought up with Belichick, even if I disagree with kind of what they've done uh, as far as the staff goes, I kind of respect it. And the reason why I respect it is because Belichick is putting himself on the line. Like he's, he's walking into the room and he's putting what he's got on the table and saying, here we go, baby. Like, this is what I believe. I think we can do this. And he's committed. He's committed to this. He could have tried to pluck Bill O'Brien. He could have tried to pluck Adam Gase. But he believes in it, and it doesn't mean it's going to work out. But I respect when somebody is committed and dedicated and believes in his plan and doesn't care what other people are saying and couldn't care less what the trends are and what the sexiness is. He's focused and saying, this is what I think we're going to do. And you could even talk about the, the draft that way, right? Again, a lot of people criticize the draft and question the draft. That was Bill and Matt Grow walking in saying, These are our guys. This is an eye of the beholder kind of draft. We love these guys. You can pick us apart, but we're putting it on the table. So we'll see if he's right on it. And and I respect it because I don't think everybody that coaches in this league would go out on this kind of limb. And yes, he's got the cachet to do it. And he's got the benefit of the doubt to do it. Not many guys would be able to do this, but I do get, I, I respect the fact that he's willing to put himself out there and do something completely different and outside the box, whether it works, we'll see. Uh, let's get to uh, some players and other stuff that you witnessed that first practice out, Greg. Let's start with Mac Jones. Uh, Mac looks a little toiter uh, mm-hmm. physically, toy like a toiger. His, 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 his belly looks a little slimmer. He looks a little more in shape. What'd you see from Mac? Yeah, you, you don't know this, but um, Mac Jones has been my Awaken 180 buddy um, the past couple months. Um, Really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but Mac does look, you know, he does look a little trimmer. He talked about, you know, he he's reduced his body fat. He does look better. His stamina, you know, he's out there running. He's first in line. Not that I really, you know, noticed him being last in line uh, before. Um, but it's good. I mean, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I think we all expected this. I think anybody who's watched or listened to Mac Jones going back to his Alabama days, knew that he was going to be one of the special work ethic uh, quarterbacks, a lot like the guy that he is somewhat successing in Tom Brady, and that he's going to be an animal and going to do whatever it takes to get better. And so this is not a surprise to me. It would have been a surprise if he showed up, um, you know, 250 pounds or something like that. But, um, you know, he looks good. Good to see. Expected. It's expected for that position. Expected for that position on this team uh in terms of tangible results on the field you know i i'd be a fool to tell you like oh yeah i noticed this and he's got extra this on the ball and i don't know it was one practice i thought he looked all right i thought he was frustrated at times there was a couple times he fired the ball on the turf um you know in frustration but that's I, i wouldn't say that's because of the coaching max like that you know he gets frustrated at times and I would say it was a typical Mac practice where I didn't, you know, really notice one thing or the other. I thought it was a little bit more disjointed than normal. But again, first practice, a lot of new guys, 
rookies, all that on the field for the first time. So typical first practice. To me, no huge takeaways on Mac Jones other than he's all about that business, and I expected him to be. Yeah, to circle back on the weight thing, I was talking to my dad last week, and he said, that Badad's lost a lot of weight. Man, but Dodd lost some weight, huh? I said, yeah, he did, Dad. But but Dodd has lost some weight. Uh, let's get to us. Uh, let, let's get to some uh, scheme stuff here, Greg. Anything that stood out to you that was interesting? Yeah, yeah. I, I and and again, you're going to hear me say this over and over again. So I, let's just let's just make it one huge caveat, so I don't have to keep saying it that it's early and it's right. one practice, and we don't know, and especially in these mini camp situations. You know, oftentimes they're installing like one part of the game and that's all we're seeing. And so we don't know what they're doing behind closed doors. The other two practices, uh, each OTA session that we can't see. Now, we'll know a little bit more at the mandatory minicamp where all three days are open. There's a lot more going on. I think they can wear pads a little bit, maybe. I forget what the rules changes were. But uh, to me, what was really interesting was that the Patriots in this practice, as far as an offense, they almost exclusively ran uh, outside zone runs, screens, a lot of zone sort of boot action passes. Basically, if you close your eyes and open them really quick, you would have thought you were at a Kyle Shanahan practice. Hmm. Like that's that's what they were doing. Now, and even to the point where this really surprised me, and I had to do like a double check because everybody knows that I watched the offensive line. Um, a lot, even during, (laughs) even during practice when, you know, the offensive line are way down the other side in a corner. Like, you know, it's, I, I like to call that Dante's Inferno because it's where, you know, Dante Scarnecchia used to put them through the paces and they basically had their own place. This is, you, you see this at every offensive line practice, college, NFL, they, they stick them in a corner, say, go get your work done, big boys. That's why they call the mushroom was the, uh, or is the emblem, the symbol for the coaches of offensive line clinic? Uh, because, you know, with mushrooms, you, what's it called? Feed them shit and keep them in the dark. That's what they do with <laughs> offensive linemen. So they're down there and I'm watching through my binoculars and they have these boards. Oftentimes with offensive line, you do a board progression where it's like, you know, it's basically footwork, you know, it's pr- taking proper angles. Well, they had these boards going diagonal to the point where the guys are, you know, moving about three feet beyond the, 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 the line of scrimmage. And to me, that is a classic outside zone running scheme drill that you would see. And I don't think I've ever seen that with the Patriots. Now, again, uh, you know, we don't know the significance of it. It could just be, and the Patriots run zone stuff. They run zone, their, their staple passing play, you know, bang action. It's it's basically the old Peyton Manning stretch run, hold the ball out, you know, fake one way, get everybody flowing. Brady or Mac Jones goes back two steps, boom, hits a tight end or a wide receiver over the middle. That's a that's a typical zone play. So they have this in their playbook. They run zone. They run power in terms of the running game. They do it all. So this could have been a zone install day. Um you know, but it is interesting, you know, because I, I did I asked around people who understand what the Patriots have done in the past offensively, what they're doing now. And I asked them the significance of this. And uh, they told me that don't go overboard on this right now, but keep an eye on it and see what happens ultimately, because I will tell you that in years past, Belichick has shown an interest in 
going to more of incorporating more of these Shanahan offensive zone principles into the offense. Josh McDaniels wanted to get more athletic after James Devlin at fullback, uh, the, the, the drafting of Dalton Keene. Um, you know, but Belichick, they never had the pieces or it wasn't the right time for them to do that when Josh McDaniels was here. Now that he's not here, is Belichick making a harder push to do more of this stuff? We shall see. And then the other, the other question that this leads into, do they have the personnel to really run this in terms of their wide receivers and things like that? I think not, but, you know, we'll see. I think that most of their wide receivers are traditional downfield guys. Bourne's played in the Shanahan offense, so we know he can do some of it. Is that his forte? I don't know, but it, le- it leads to a bunch of interesting questions down the line if they're still doing a lot of this stuff at mandatory minicamp. I don't know if anybody else is feeling this way, and I don't care if anybody else is feeling this way, but I am so intrigued by this season. Uh, and, and I know, look, yeah. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're winning 13 games. I don't think they're winning 14 games. I, you know, I don't think they're going to win the division as of right now. Of course, it's really early, you know, and who knows what happens, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, just, I'm so intrigued because, you know, for a long time, look, I grew up in New England. I spent, you know, the vast majority of my life, 30 plus years in New England. I, I worked in Boston on radio for both stations, both radio stations. I've done this pod with you for, you know, a couple of years. And, and I'm not going to say it's boring, right? Because winning is never boring. But you knew the plan. Like everything was predictable. You knew the offense. You knew who the quarterback was. You knew who the surrounding parts were. You knew what they were going to do mostly defensively. You, you knew the. Oh, offense. you could predict some of the plays. Yeah, and, and so this is so intriguing to me. Like, I, I think to me that part of this is fun. Like, who's going to be calling the plays? What is this offense going to look like? Uh, they're moving away from the fullback position, according to Jakob Johnson. And by their moves, it seems like they're moving away from a more traditional fullback position. They've gotten quicker on defense, and it looks like they might be changing some things. We'll get to that in a minute. Defensively, I, I just think it's so int- there, there are so many questions that still need to be answered to watch this all kind of come together. To me, as a football fan and a nerd, is fascinating. Like I, I want to see what the, how much is there going to be change? Is this just us pumping tires and talking ourselves to death because it's the off season? Or is there going to be things that are tangible that we look and go, Oh, that's different. Oh, that, you know, th- that's a change. Like Belichick salsa. Like I think a lot of people have been asking him to evolve. A lot of people have been saying, oh, you know, when are they going to get away from like that? The same old, same old, and it seems to me that they're they're at least making an effort to take steps towards evolving and changing some things. I don't think it's a drastic, dramatic overhaul, but I find it to be intriguing to see where this team goes and how it comes together. That that to me is fun. That that to me is is, is you watch and you learn instead of all right, here it comes. You know, here, like you said, here comes this play. You know, this is what they're going to run. A little here comes a bubble screen on second and fourteen because that's what they do. And here comes. It's third and one, and here comes, you know, uh, Bolden up the middle or somebody up the middle because Josh wants to run it third and short up the middle, um, you know, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. It's just intriguing to me. Let's talk about uh, defensively. Josh Uche, his usage in the first day kind of stood out to you, Greg. What did you see from Uche? Where was he standing? What was he doing? Yeah, now one caveat with this because Matthew Judon wasn't there. Um, Ronnie Perkins was not out there. He's right. still coming back from injury or what have you. 
Um, so they were limited in terms of the number of guys they had on the edge. But I will say that uh, Josh Uche was second team inside linebacker and also playing on the edge. I mean, we we talked last week about Steve Belichick talking up Josh Uche and you know how he's a big piece of the puzzle, and we didn't know exactly what that looks like. You know, if if this first practice is any indication, then you're looking at the next sort of Dante Hightower sort of combo linebacker, where it's the first two downs inside, you know, if he's deemed to be one of the starters. Right now, he's not starting inside. And then he moves down to the edge. So, you know, I, I can't remember a young guy outside of Dante Hightower. And look, calling uh, Josh Uche young is, is uh, you know, a little bit disingenuous because it's his third season. Uh, he's been around, but he hasn't played a lot. So that's the way I look at it in terms of a young guy. He hasn't played a lot. He's had injuries. Right. He's had other things. But for them to say, yeah, we're comfortable with you doing both of these things and practicing this way, to me it shows that um, they like what they see out of him and they're putting more on his plate. How that ultimately shapes up at the end of the day, we'll have to see. We talk about guys in their second year with this team, whether it's the draft class from last year or the free agents they brought in. And I think sometimes we overlook the COVID part of this. And I remember back in, in 2020 where we're talking about all this kind of stuff. And, and I remember saying, who knows what these rookies are going to look like because it's such a weird situation. And I wonder if Belichick and the coaching staff feel the same way. Like, 2020 wasn't quite a full season for that rookie class. It was just really weird. And so maybe they look at Uche as like a, you know, yeah, it's his third year, but maybe it's kind of a bridge between the second and third year. And maybe we think he's going to pop this season because the first, his rookie season was so strange what happened that year. Um, I just wonder if they, we always talk about the second year guys, maybe some of these third year guys pop because of what 2020 was, which was just outrageous. Um, let's look at, uh, linebackers and cornerbacks, Greg, as you put it in the notes, some curious combinations there. What are you talking about? Yeah. So the, the starters at linebacker were, uh, Juwan Bentley and Raekwon McMillan. Um, McMillan's a guy that we've talked up a few times when it came to the pre-draft and people saying they need linebackers. And I'm like, they were really happy with Raekwon McMillan last year. And, and he looked to have a very big role in this defense before he got hurt. And so it looks like he's picked up where he left off. Um, you know, we we have not seen a lot of Cam McGrone yet, so we don't know how things are going to be impacted. Um, you know, but it's it's interesting. Of course, it's not a surprise that uh, Bentley's out there first, and then you had um, Uche and uh, shoot Mac Wilson. Yes, Mac Wilson were the second team linebackers. So. You know, interesting. Um, you know, I don't know what to take out of that, one positive or negative. Uh, I think it's just where they're starting, and then they're sort of going to mix and match, and we'll have to see how McGrone fits into that, um, you know, because that's, you know, four pretty good guys. And then at cornerback, their first unit was interesting. Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell on the outside, Jonathan Jones's slot. Second team was uh, Jonathan Jones and um, – I just had it. Jonathan Jones, Sean Wade was in the slot, and Jack Jones, the rookie, was the other boundary corner on sort of the second team. Now, Marcus Jones didn't do a whole lot coming back from shoulder surgery in this practice, so we don't know ultimately where he fits. 
Juwan Williams got some looks in that group at times during practice, but that's pretty much the top six that they went with. It's interesting. And we'll get into Jack Jones a little bit more a little bit later with some quick hits. I want your thoughts on him and dig a little deeper on that. We have uh, to talk about defensive line here on the list. Do you want to do that now or do you want to save it for the member question of the day? Because yeah. it all kind of. Yeah, let's do that. All right. I'm going to hit you with some uh, quick hit Q&A off the practice. But first, tell the fine people about betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and, of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started, so head to the website today. Or use your mobile device to sign up today and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right. So let's do some uh, quick hit Q&A here off the practice. You mentioned you watched the offensive line. I like the mushroom thing. I'm going to use that a lot moving (laughs) forward. Uh, One guy that wasn't out there, Greg, was Isaiah Wynn. What does that mean for Wynn? What did that mean for the offensive line, at least for this one practice? Yeah, I mean, look, we don't know the circumstances. He could have had a legit personal thing or whatnot. I'll just say this. I hope he has a legit excuse. I hope this is just not him. Like last year being like, meh, I don't think I'm going to show up a whole lot in the offseason because it did not go well for him last year. Uh, He got off to a slow start. He was a little bit out of shape to start training camp, never caught up. He was part of the reason why the offensive line was so crappy for about half the season. And that did not go over well with the coaches. So if this is part of the same plan, it's a bad plan for him. And related to that, because Wynn wasn't there, they decided to move Trent Brown over to the left tackle. That's the first time I've seen Trent Brown at left tackle in a very long time here. Maybe basically maybe his first go around with the Patriots. I don't know. He might have taken a snap or two last year during training camp there, but it wasn't a lot. Uh, for him to practice an entire practice at left tackle, uh, that shows me that the Patriots are at least giving a look at this. At you know maybe maybe going with Trent Brown on the left side because and this is my warning to Isaiah Wynn. If the Patriots think that you could have been at this practice and you weren't at this practice after what happened last year, this is the way things go. Just to warn you, if and. You know, look, let's just state for the record that Isaiah Wynn is getting $10 million guaranteed this year because yep. the Patriots picked up his fifth-year option over a year ago. So they picked up his option. He barely showed up last offseason. They had no chance, uh, no choice. They couldn't rescind the fifth-year option that they guaranteed. So now they're stuck with it. Now, it can be moved via trade. And so my warning to Isaiah Wynn is if he thinks he's just – because he's on a guaranteed contract that he's just going to coast – uh, I would be prepared to play someplace else this year because this is the this is the way it goes with the Patriots. They'll get a look at Trent Brown at left tackle. If they like what they see and they're not exactly happy with you, then they start saying, you know what? Let's just go with Trent Brown at left tackle. We got Justin Huron. We got other options. Uh, we got Stuber, who we drafted. He can play right tackle maybe. Let's go in that direction because, quite frankly, I'm sick of looking at Isaiah Wynn. I, correction, I, I'm sick of – not seeing Isaiah win here. And 
So let's just move on and cut bait and see if anybody will give us something and take the $10 million off our hands and we can have that on the cap now, blah, blah, blah. So uh, we'll see. You know, I assume there were two other practices. Basically, the Patriots practiced Monday. Tuesday was an off day, and then they practiced Wednesday and Thursday. So Isaiah Wynn, for whatever reason, could have said, I'm not going to go on Monday, but I'm going to go on Wednesday, Thursday. That could well be the case. I don't know if that's that's a good thing for the Patriots, but just just it bears watching what happens with this. One of the names that a lot of people want to talk about, and, and rightly so, is Tyquan Thornton. And we, we've called him kind of the swing pick in this draft. If he hits, this draft looks a lot better, um, you know, to the to the naked eye and the and the pundits and draft nicks out there. Uh, he was off to the side, didn't do a whole heck of a lot at this practice, Greg. Does that tell you anything or, you know, no big deal? Maybe he's just kind of slowly transitioning here. Yeah, I know he's been dealing with some sort of issue. Uh, it didn't look like it was overly concerning, whatever he had. Um, saw him working on the rehab field. Um, I'm not overly concerned yet. I'll, I'll be more, if he's not out there for mandatory minicamp, I might be a little bit more worried about this because as we know um young players rookies especially at wide receiver need every practice that they can get and every practice that they miss really hurts their development and their chance of really um hitting year one um that being said you know this rookie class in general boy are these guys skinny i mean holy man i was talking to somebody the other day who went to whose whose buddy went to school with taekwon thornton they were in the athletic department together and they're just like man that guy if he turns sideways you know you don't see him i mean he is him jack jones is skinny marcus marcus jones is tiny like it's a it's a very interesting physically it's a very interesting rookie class we'll see that we'll say that Got to give him some steak and cheeses, man. You got to get him to Fenway. So, you know, get some of them uh, sausage and peppers cranking during him, the baseball season. Send them to the North End. Well, they'll fatten them up. That's it. Send them to the North End, baby. Uh, so, so Taekwon wasn't out there doing much, but somebody who was out there, and, and I saw some tweets and some stories about this guy looking, you know, pretty, pretty good in the first time around. I wanted your thoughts. First impression on Devontae Parker. Yeah. I like Devontae Parker. I mean, you know, I, I don't think he's going to, you know, it's not like Randy Moss or anything like that. Um, but, you know, just the look of him, he just looks physically how he does things, how he runs his route. He just looks like a professional uh, wide receiver. Like it sort of reminds me of, and look, this guy had his issues. And speaking of skinny, he was also a little bit skinny, but it, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I would say um, Brandon Lloyd and huh. also a little bit of Brandon Cooks. You know, when he came here, Cooks was, you know, a few years into his career, not the same type of receivers at all. I'm just talking about like you could tell he's put together. He's got his professional body. He's strong. He runs the right routes. He knows what he's doing. Uh, so I was intrigued by that. He looks the part. Like if you were putting together yep. a movie, he looks the part. You'd plug him in there as the wide receiver and he'd fit in fine. Uh, Jack Jones, you brought him up a couple times here. One that he's really skinny, but also that he was the second, you know, part of the, the second unit there on the outside at cornerback. Was he more involved than you thought he would be first day for a rookie? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell down the depth chart. I did think it was interesting that he was fielding punts at the end of practice as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, you know, we knew Marcus Jones did that. Uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Jack Jones did it. I didn't study him that much, so I don't know exactly what he did in college, but I thought that was interesting. But, um, you know, definitely uh, Jack Jones has quick feet. Um, you know, looks the part. is just, yeah, he's skinny. He's going to have to get stronger and things like that. But um, certainly looks like a he'll be in the competition at the at the cornerback spot for sure. If this dude could be part of the rotation, that makes me feel at least somewhat better about the cornerback room. If if this continues mm-hmm. again, it's the first day. We don't know. But if this this kind of progresses and we see him sticking with those guys and in a in a rotation consistently and then preseason, he's out there playing and mixing it up with some of the ones, it'll be fascinating to watch his progress. Uh, the BostonSportsShow.com member question of the day. Check him out at BSJ3999 on the annual plan. Of course, they've got your Celtics coverage, big game five tonight in Miami. Uh, the Bruins, their season is over. Uh, let's not blame Bruce Cassidy, please. It's, it's not on him, at least in my opinion. Red Sox offense, Greg, we talked about it last podcast. It's picking up. Uh, all those yep. Trevor Story takes are, are aging uh, very, very badly for some people in Boston because they wanted to go crazy after six weeks. All he's doing is hitting home runs now. Uh, so you can get all of that coverage plus Greg's Patriots coverage, which involves his video analysis and the coach's film, direct access to him in weekly chats. Again, $39.99 on the annual plan, bostonsportsjournal.com. Uh, so we've got two questions, and they're, they're both related, and then we're also going to look at kind of the defensive line overall. So I'll, I'll get through the two questions, and then we'll look at kind of the defensive line alignment, and you can tell people how you feel about it. The first one is from Mike uh, Stoneham. The four-man line seems sensible. Not sure why you separate the nose tackles from the tackles. If they were to go 4-3, those guys could certainly be interior 4-3 guys. He's, again, talking about the alignment and something that you wrote about, which, again, we'll dive into in more detail in a minute. Then we've got M. Kelleher saying, what's the difference between end and edge in the Patriots' four-man front? Uh, So, Greg, just kind of what you saw defensive line alignment-wise and where you kind of see these pieces of the puzzle fitting together. Yeah, so basically what we saw the other day, and again, they were missing a bunch of edge guys, so um, we don't know if this is truly where, where they're going. Just going off what we saw, basically what you saw was the Patriots were running a four-man line sort of in the old-school Parcells, P. Carroll, um, that sort of scheme where you know you have a Leo on the end. That's like an edge guy. So basically you have three down linemen, and then an, a tweener edge guy, the Leo. And so basically the way they they lined up, if you want to visualize it, at end they had Dietrich Wise. These are the starters. Uh, nose tackle, Devon Godchow. Tackle, Christian Barmore, because Lawrence Guy wasn't there. And then on the edge, it was Josh Uche at times. It will be Matthew Judon. Um, you know, so maybe Judon doesn't even need to start up. Uh, you know, that's why you would have Judon at inside linebacker for the first two downs. And then on passing downs, he could move to an edge when you take off one of the defensive linemen. But anyways, so uh, to address these questions, um, number one, uh, yes, you need to separate the nose tackles and tackles, Mike and Stoneham. Like I, how, I, we've been over this many, many times, and I don't know what you've seen out of the run defense the past few years to make you indicate that they have the right pieces on the field to do what's needed to stop the run. You need a guy, a nose tackle is a guy who two gaps, who just takes up blockers. You know, he's sitting in the gap where the team wants to run and he doesn't move. 
Okay, that's been a problem since Vince Wilfork left here and went to Houston because guys like Devon Godchow are getting shoved down the field and that leaves the linebackers exposed and they can't stop the run. So nose tackle and tackle, you can't just against the run on the first couple downs we're talking about. You can't just put out Christian Barmore and Byron Cowart. Like those are two because you you Mike wants to say that those guys are interchangeable. They're not. All these guys are interchangeable on the inside. They're not. Those two guys are pass rush first, sub sort of three techniques, which they're on the outside shoulder of the guard. They want to rush. Think Warren Sapp, that type of guy. That's a three technique classic. Like you can't have two, three techniques inside. You need a guy who can take up double teams, a nose tackle, and then you need a regular tackle. Those are what you need to do. So yes, you have to separate them. And the other question, what's the difference between end and edge? End is really, it's a bigger guy. Oftentimes, he's on the weak side of the formation. So the weak side of the formation, it has no tight end. The strong side has a tight end. The guy, on the end is on the weak side. He's often lined up, head up against an offensive tackle. So you need a guy bigger, stronger, longer right. arms, like a Dietrich Wise or a Henry Anderson to hold up against those guys. On the other side, you go with more of the ja- Matthew Judon outside linebacker type that um, that play up against. They would play up against tight ends who are on that side, so they can they can handle them. That's a mismatch over there. So there's a reason why you do these things. There's a reason why all these positions are different. You know, we'll see. I mean, I'm not I'm not crazy about this alignment. Um, you know, I'm not crazy about Dietrich Wise. I don't, I don't know how many more years I have to say this. I'm not crazy about him starting and being on the edge by himself. I don't think he's good enough there. I think he's soft there. And, of course, this is all going to come down to Devon Godchow. Can he be better in year two, hold up the double teams, and be the guy that they're paying a lot of money for to be a real deal nose tackle because they have nothing else behind him? We talked about this in the draft process. We talked up Travis Jones. We talked up Jordan Davis. Why? Because they don't have anything other than Devon Godchow. And all they have is Carl Davis and Daniel Ekalawe and Bill Murray. They don't have any other options. It's all on Devon Godchow, and this defense doesn't work if he is not better this year. Akeem Hicks is still out there and available last time I checked. Wouldn't mind it. Um, yeah, again, he's another year two guy. Year two guys and even year three guys at rookie class. The Patriots are hoping, expecting a jump. And if they make that jump, this team, I think, will be better than people think. How much better? We'll have to wait and see. He's Greg. I'm Nick. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Everybody, enjoy the holiday weekend. Be good. Be safe. Have some fun. Uh, We'll be back with you next week. Until then, see you.